Good morning. Happy New Year. You are the committed. You are the ones who perhaps, how many of you made it to midnight? And you rose in the morning and came to church. Yes, congratulations, you have arrived. Um, it's really good to have you here. And you know, as I think about what we're all about in this, in this new year, it's a continuation of what we've always been about. We're about transform lives, leaving godly legacies. And, uh, you know, as, as a church in this new year, we want to be about more than just growing larger. We want to grow deeper, making disciples of Jesus Christ. We want it to be more about the gospel just in our lives. We want it to be the gospel in others' lives, as, it, as the gospel doesn't dead end in us, but moves through us into other people's lives. And we want it to be more about than just doing church, about getting together and gathering. We want to be going out into this community, out into this world. And, and to be this church that is the church that's a blessing to our community. Not only sharing the gospel, but also sharing good, good works and, and, and love, the love of God as we, as we move outside this place. And you know, as we look towards what that transformation looks like in our lives, we're looking forward to the greatest transformation that will ever happen. That's when we meet Jesus in heaven. And so we're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to start today. Then we're going to um, have that, that event on the 15th. Uh, called Heavens for Real. We're going to be having the author of that book, Todd Burpo, and we've had to move that to to the Topeka Performing Arts Center. Same times, so if you have tickets for it, um, you know, just use same times but different location. And and then we're going to end uh, the week after that that event on the 21st and 22nd. We're going to end this this series on on heaven, so that we begin uh, this in the scriptures and we end in the scriptures on this discussion, and we uh, not only in you know inspire you and, and craft the biblical portrait of heaven, but we'd also encourage you to look forward to it and then equip you uh, not only in what the Bible says about it, but equip you to share it with your friends. And in your bulletin is a little booklet called Heaven. It's written by Randy Elkhorn. He, re- he wrote a, a larger book called Heaven, and it's quite expansive. It's probably one of the most expansive books I've ever read on heaven. If this little booklet is encouraging to you, I'd think about going and buying that book. It's a great book that informs you on the biblical picture of heaven. What I want you to do with this booklet, everyone look up here. I want you to listen now, read that booklet later, Okay. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll give you a vision of heaven and, and that booklet will build on it. So hang, hang with me as we do this. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's very important. It's very important for all of us to have the picture of heaven. By the way, that book, um, Heaven by Randy Elkhorn, one in our church, his name was Ron Daniel, uh, was reading that book. And halfway through that book... He went to be with the Lord. He and his wife were reading it together before bed every night. And uh, he had surgery and the surgery didn't go well. And he, he passed away. Now think about this. You're reading the book on heaven and God finishes it for you. You know, that is an awesome experience. And, and again, I just think it's a, it's a great picture of, of we want to anticipate it. We don't want to just anticipate it. We want to be captivated by heaven because Jesus himself said, this is not all there is. He says in, in, uh, John chapter 14, verse three, he says, he says, uh, if I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. 
that where I am, you may be also. Uh, Jesus said that, um, that, that he would come for us. It's his promise. And so we can bank on that. In the same way that all the world looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the church now looks forward to the coming of Christ. His second arrival, his second coming, when, when he will be with us and all wrongs will be made right. And, and righteousness will reign forever and ever. But you know what? We talk about this and some of us even have kind of a peripheral vision of heaven. We kind of know it's there. If you grew up in the church, you kind of heard teachings every once in a while about it. But you know what? What I found, I found a lot of people curious about heaven, but not captivated by it. Why are people curious about heaven? Why do they like to know information about it, but not have transformation with it? So that they're just curious with questions, but not captivated in a life that's actually changed as a result of it. Well, there's several reasons. Some of us or some people are just are doubtful of his existence. We're, we're wrapped up in a rational world with an answer for everything. And to delve into the supernatural, the what some perceive as a fairy tale, and, and the denial of the supernatural, they would rather live their lives away from faith. In kind of a godless existence where this is all there is because I can control what there is, or at least there's the impression that you can control what there is. And, and the, the reality is, is, is they just go, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I, I just doubt it. I don't, I don't know. Others are frankly distracted by the present life. And, uh, you know, we could, we could put pleasure seekers in here. People, people obsessed with creating heaven on earth. And, uh, you know, we can do that if we're wrapped up in the material world and if we want to trying to keep up with the Joneses, if we're, uh, you know, consumers in this great American economy, we are good consumers. We do a really good job at that. And, and if we're not careful, we can be distracted by all those things and we can be owned by things, not just owning things. We can be owned by them. They take up our time. They take up our attention. They load up our schedules. If you are uh, raising adolescents or, or kids and they're in sports or you're chasing around kids, it's really hard to think about the future in the long haul when you're just trying to make it through the day, just trying to keep up, trying not to miss something. So busyness and hurry are a distraction to the things of God. By the way, hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life. If you want to be a disciple, you can't if you're always hurried. Because you'll never stop. You'll never listen. And when it comes to heaven, you'll never know about it. you never think about it. you never ponder the beauty of heaven if you're distracted by the present life. Whoop, I went too far. Sorry. I'm learning to use this. Others of us are depressed by loss. The problem with depression sometimes when it hits our lives, especially around this time of year, we're just consumed by the present. It's hard for us to get perspective. Um, we're just wrapped up in trying to get through this next day. Some of us have failed over the, this past year. And when we think about heaven, we go, boy, I don't deserve there to be there. I remember going and ministering to this man who was on his deathbed and cancer was just alive and well in his body. And he was kind of a shadow of the man he used to be. And I remember going into that hospice room and he just said, I don't, I don't think I'll ever go to heaven. I just can't. You don't know how I lived, how mean I was to my wife and my kids will have nothing to do with me now. I just don't think I deserve heaven. And I said, you know what? None of us deserve heaven. 
None of us do. You can be depressed about your life. But you know, Jesus, when he was on the cross, the criminal next to him who was being crucified cried out and believed in him. And Jesus assured him that today you will be with me in paradise. So it's never too late as long as you have breath to trust in the work of Christ. The reality is none of us deserve it. None of us, does it. yet so many of us think if I'm just good enough, if I just do that next right thing, God will say, okay, now you deserve it. And you're always looking over your back. You're always looking up wondering, am I good enough? Is, is uh, until you come to the point of faith in the work of Christ, not your own work. And finally, uh, others of us are just discouraged by false images and ideas of heaven. You know, I grew up in the church and I heard a lot of stories about heaven, but one of them that was not compelling to me was this, that I would be dressed in a white terry cloth robe on a cloud, playing a harp, singing, singing songs I really wasn't excited about forever and ever and ever. And I didn't, I didn't know that I really wanted to go to a place like that. I've talked to other people who, who said, it sounds like in heaven you'll never lose, you'll always win. I kind of like the possibility of losing. And it kind of takes adventure out of life if I'm going to go to a place where I'll always win. Other religions explain heaven in a way that it's just discouraging to think about. Some religions talk about, you know, you being greeted with a hundred virgins when you come to heaven. I mean, that may be really good for the guys, but think about it for one of the virgins, one guy, a hundred other wives to compete with over the past, you know, forever and ever and ever. You know, it's not really an image if we're, if we're looking around us that we feel compelled to be in. Others of us just don't like the loss of control. I like my own life. I like to, you know, plot my own future. And then it's all going to be about God worshiping him. I don't really want to worship God now. Why would I want to do that for eternity? And therein is depravity. That's the reality of depravity in our lives that we don't want to see God. We don't want to spend eternity because we'd rather have it our way. We reject him. That's been around since the garden and it's still rampant. And I even believe that a clear picture of hell is the rejection of God. Everyone goes, well, why would God send people to hell? People reject God and have to bear that consequence. And so the reality, though, even though people are curious about it, these things may keep them from it. But the reality is this. The reality of our faith and heaven is this. The Bible tells us that we have loved ones there right now who are living in heaven and celebrating and worshiping and experiencing the paradise of God. We also are assured through faith in Christ that we will go there. That we will go there. We're promised through faith in Christ that we will someday be in heaven. And if, uh, if we die or the Lord returns, whichever comes first, we're going to be there for a majority of our existence. Now, our lives, think about this with me real quick. In a hundred years, we're all going to be there. A hundred years, even in human history, is a very short time. You may think, oh, it's a really long... In human history, it's a short time. The Bible calls your life a mist that appears for a while and then disappears. The, the majority of our existence is going to be in this place if we have faith in Christ. And what we're ta- told about this by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 is that this existence will far outweigh our present lives. Paul writes, for this light, momentary affliction. That's how he sums up your life. Light, momentary affliction. 
He doesn't candy coat it. Life stinks. It's unfair. Th- things happen to us that, that just we, we think are, that's not right. Paul says, light momentary affliction. He says, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, everything, your best day, your greatest pleasure, your highest joy, not even close to what heaven's going to be like. And then finally, it's our primary hope. We live with this hope, not fear in the future. Timothy, uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2.13. He says that we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we are waiting. That is our hope. That's our primary hope in life is that this world is not all there is. There's going to be a final restoration in which God will make everything great. And so as we delve into this exploration of heaven, what's going to be our grid? What's going to inform us about that? And I think we need to really hold on to this. And it's important that we all understand the priority of how, of what, what informs us about heaven. And I'm going to say this. The Bible is our authority for belief and practice. It's the primary authority. And we can read books about heaven. And we can hear stories about people or visions about people or experience about people of God. But if it is not consistent with the Bible, we have to throw it out. We have to step away from it. You know, one of the reasons we're doing this series is, although it's a good read, uh, the Heavens for Real book is a good read, we don't want you stopping with just that book. I've read the book. My kids have read the book. And we think it's a great book, but we don't want to stop with just that book. And that's what a lot of people go. Well, I read that book once and it said, no, read this book and then, and then have the, use it as a grid on all those other experiences. Cause the Bible has to be what we're tethered to. Now, as I say that we're tethered to the Bible, we also need to understand that the Bible talks about even using our imagination as we think about heaven. Paul says it's beyond all comparison. It's almost like he's saying, compare it. You bring it forward. You bring it to me. You tell me what your best day is. And I'll say it's far beyond that. So we can use our imaginations when we think about heaven, but they must be, must be tethered to scripture. So when I read a passage like 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, I move away from curiosity and I move into being captivated that I have, folks, we have no idea what God has in store for us. It is going to be awesome. So tether our minds to scripture, but then set your imagination free. And you will see many Christian writers like C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald who wrote on, on loads of these issues of, of, of what heaven could be like based on the scriptural biblical picture of it. And so, as we uh, delve into this, you're going to hear a lot of passages. They're all in your, in your notes there. You can go back and research them and, uh, you know, continue to explore and discover as we do this. But let's talk about heaven now, because uh, th- th- this whole concept of heaven as a place. Heaven as a place, um, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for heaven is shamayim. In the New Testament, the Greek word is uranos. And uh, Shamayim has three meanings to it. 
The first one is this, the sky, the clouds, the air. When God was creating the, the world in, in uh, Genesis 1-8, it says that God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and morning the second day. That word heaven there is a picture of God separating the, uh, the waters on earth for the waters, the mist, and the clouds and in the air. And so this first heaven is the one that you just look up and you go and you see that. You see the fingerprints of God in this heaven. But you look up and you see it's that first heaven. The second heaven has to do with planets and solar system, the stars, the universe. This is in God's creation. Deuteronomy 10, 22. Moses says, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of Heaven. And while he's talking about that, it's just those heaven, those same stars that God used to, to tell Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. God promised the stars through this. Um, and the third aspect of heaven is where God presides. In Genesis 24, verse 7, um, Abraham says to the servant who's looking for a wife for Isaac, he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. And do you see what's happening here? God promised the, his covenant through the stars in the second heaven. But Abraham says the God of heaven, even over that, the third heaven of which Paul talks about in second Corinthians that's the heaven where God presides. Now, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, but he presides in heaven. It, everything he does in heaven is followed, is obeyed. His authority has no hindrance in heaven. And it's this heaven that we want to talk about. Now, think about this, how, how it's just done. You look up, you see the clouds. You look further at night and you see the stars. And see what God is doing? He's saying, look at the first heaven. Look at the seventh heaven. Now, think of the third that's where I am. I'm high above. I'm greater than all. That's how he's, got, he's calling us to look up. Look up and see where he presides. And to think about the future he has for us. So what do we know about this place called the third heaven? A place where the third is called paradise. I mentioned earlier that when Jesus was on the cross, there was a criminal on the cross next to him. And when the criminal expressed faith in him, Jesus told him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He called it paradise. It was not a letdown. It was a paradise. It would be a place much greater than his existence. It was also Paul describes this paradise as indescribable in second Corinthians chapter 12 verses two and four. He talks about himself in the third person. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. And he says it again, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And he heard things, verse 4, listen to this. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In other words, he cannot speak of. This experience that he had um, was so indescribably beautiful and wonderful in this paradise that he said it was unspeakable, beyond words. 
Now, what are some of the things that you do when you see a, an incredible view or an incredible cloud formation or you see something powerful or you see something of God? You know, some of our words are like, whoa. Um, when I looked at the Grand Canyon several years ago, and we went out on the ledge there, you know, and you, wow, you know, you say something like that. Or you say something like awesome or great or fantastic or wonderful or magnificent or incredible or cool or fabulous. Or like one of my adolescent children says, sick, man, that's just sick. That's a good thing. Paul's saying, yes, yes, but, but it's so much more. So much more when he saw it was indescribable place. There's also a picture of awesome power. Awesome power. In Revelation chapter 4, when John is taken up into heaven to see a picture of it, in verses 5 and 6, it says, From the throne came awesome flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven, were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Here you see this, this awesomeness, this kind of chaos, peals of thunder. And then you have complete calmness around the throne where God presides. Have you ever been in a place where it's just been so calm? I remember going up to northern Wisconsin over Thanksgiving and uh, went out on Thanksgiving Day and the sun was coming up and I looked up and the, the lake, the lake is named Stormy Lake that I grew up on. And uh, Stormy Lake was always wind and always waves. And on Thanksgiving morning, it was calm. And, and the sun was coming up. And I took this picture. Look at that. Complete reflection. It was so calm. One boat would have gone on there, messed up the whole picture. But it was just so calm. And I got a picture. When I looked at it, I thought, sea of glass, heaven, Revelation chapter 4. Because it, it showed me but what John was talking about. It's just a picture. We get glimpses. We get shadows of God's beautiful creation now that reminds us of a better world that he's preparing for us. It's awesome. It's not just a place of paradise. It's indescribable. That's awesome. It's also a picture of holiness. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, when Isaiah gets a vision of heaven, uh, the this same thing almost happens. It's almost a verbatim, but it says, holy. They, he, he hears, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the, in the presence of God's holiness, he kind of shrinks. He kind of draws back and he goes, whoa, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. And then through God's grace, one of the, the creatures flies and takes a coal and touches his lip and, and, and cleanses him from his sin. So that when God says, who will go for us? He says, here am I, send me, send me. Do you see that? That's going to happen. God's going to share his holiness with us in heaven. We won't go, woe is me. We will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Heaven is also not only this type of place, but there's also a progression. 
a progression. The heaven that I've just described, this, this paradise, indescribable, awesomeness, holiness, is what I'm just going to call heaven 1.0. And it's what theologians call the intermediate heaven. It's the heaven that exists now. And, and, uh, but it's not the final heaven. And, and I, I'm kind of a computer geek, so I'm just going to go with the 1.0 versions here. This heaven 1.0, this current heaven, this intermediate heaven, is not all there is. It's like God actually trumps it. He builds upon it so that the majority of our existence is going to be even in a place better. Better than paradise. Better than indescribable. Better than awesomeness. Better than that whole... I mean, it's, it's that this holiness is going to reign in a fluid, comprehensive way. Not just in heaven, but on earth. And that's what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.13, when he says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Heaven 2.0. And this will happen when Jesus Christ returns. And um, when Jesus Christ returns, he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. This is how it's described by John in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Do you see this? This is the great expectation. This is the finally, as we've waited for our weddings, as we waited for our spouses to come down that aisle or, or for us to walk up that aisle, whoever you were in that, in that picture, that expectation, this is the culmination of all of life, is that, is that Christ the groom will come for the church, his bride, and the two will be united. And heaven will come to earth and a new heavens and a new earth. Do you see the picture here? The current heaven and the current earth, there's a, there's a contrast. In heaven, uh, everything that God is calling for is happening. On earth, we rebel against God. We're under the curse. We're broken. We're messed up. In the new heaven and the new earth, it will be seamless, consistent. When we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for heaven 2.0. We pray for God's will to be for his kingdom to come and this to usher in. So that's the great expectation of the Christian, that we would look for a seamless existence, heaven and earth, the spiritual and the physical, on heaven 2.0. And that's where what Paul writes about in Ephesians 1.10 when he says, God's plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And that's where we're going to be spending a vast majority of our existence with God in heaven 2.0. So as we talk about this heaven, let's now talk about, we've talked about the place, we've talked about the progression. Now let's talk about the people who inhabits heaven. And the, the first slow pitch answer to that is God. But what, let me just say, it's the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
the Bible reveals that the triune God exists in heaven. In Matthew 6, 9, when we're called to pray by Jesus as he teaches us to pray, he says, our father who art in heaven or who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, the father is in heaven. God, the son is in heaven. In Romans eight thirty four, Paul says, Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who's at the right hand of God, the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. He's in heaven. And then the Spirit. Likewise, he says in verse 26 of Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, now this is the picture. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who's there. But there's also angels in heaven. As the scriptures bring forth in Revelation chapter 7, John saw this picture and that all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, those heavenly creatures there. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. You know, this is kind of a, a picture as you look at this, this uh, picture that John draws for us in words in the book of Revelation. It's kind of almost like Narnia creatures or Lord of the Rings kind of creatures. But there will be creatures in heaven. There will be animals in heaven. Talks about horses being in heaven. And so, um, and I know everyone is wondering if your pet is going to be in heaven. And uh, the Bible is pretty quiet on that, Okay. I have a really cool dog right now. I love that dog. His name is Buddy. I led him to Christ three times. But um, I don't... You know what? We as Christians can be so enthralled with our pets that we forget about our neighbors. And people are far more valuable than pets. Okay? We, we, need, to, we need to understand that. And, and the Bible talks about humanity and God. And the disparity of the human soul is what needs redemption. And so let's be focused on, on people, okay? Some of us can really go bonkers. Christians go bonkers with our pets, okay? Having more love and compassion or time with them than we do for people. And we need just to, be, you know, let's pull up the bootstraps on this one. God's calling us to, to, to it, it, but here's the deal. In heaven, I believe we'll interact with animals and, and these creatures. I think it'll be a beautiful existence. Um, and then it talks about the redeemed. Now, I know when we think about people and the redeemed, we wonder about those that we wonder about who, who were like infants and they passed away. Or like in, in my family, we have three boys and our fourth child um, miscarried. Um, several months into, into our, our pregnancy. And we always wondered what, what happened to this child that we never met. You know, the Bible is fairly quiet on this because the Bible talks about uh, the human heart and sin and soul. But you know, something happened with David and David and Bathsheba and his sin with Bathsheba, their, their son that was born passed as an infant son. And in his mourning process, he came to a great trust and was comforted and was emboldened um, by the reality of heaven. And in 2 Samuel, David wrote this. Now he is dead, speaking of his son. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Then he says this. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, I know some theologians say he can go to him in death. 
But you know what? This gave him great comfort. It emboldened him. It wouldn't be just saying, well, I'll just die just like he died. No, it emboldened him. He, he moved from the mourning process into a hopeful process. And I would believe because he had a, a picture that his son was with God in heaven. And that's what, it was a great comforting verse for me and my wife when this child um, was not born in our family. And I, I think it's, it's true f- uh, for us as we look at that passage. That, that ought to comfort us. But the redeemed are those of us who right now um, have a choice to trust in the work of Christ or to reject God. Jesus made it clear in John fourteen six. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was very clear about this. He was very exclusive in his claim, but he was very inclusive with his call. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, that's inclusive, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Folks, think about this real quick. So many of the world looks at Christianity and says they're so exclusive, but the call of God and the very patience of God is very inclusive. It's whosoever, anyone. As long as we have breath, we can call on the name of Christ and the work of Christ and redemption can come to us. Heaven is filled with the redeemed. And therefore, a great task of the church, and we're going to talk about this in our next one, is let's populate heaven. Let's populate heaven. Let's prepare people for the next world and, and uh, save them from the, the results of this world. And, and so let's call people. Let's populate heaven because the redeemed will be there. Now, again, I want to just say this. I don't hold the fact that I'm redeemed over anyone. I'm just thankful to have it. And I know that it's not because of my works. And I know it's not because of, you know, me deserving it. It's only because of the grace of God. And because of that, I'm no better than anyone in this world. And I want to share that. I want to share that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so we want to be people that if others just spend some time with us, they see more of Jesus and less of us. Um, but now we move from heaven, it's people, and we talk about heaven, it's key person. And the key person is going to be God. God is the key person of heaven. It's not going to be about us. You know, so many people construct a picture, uh, especially I hear this at funerals. I know Johnny, and Johnny's up in heaven now, and he's he's just playing 18 with Peter or something like that. He'd love golf, and heaven would just be a greater continuation of the things I like to do on earth, and it will be all about me playing golf or fishing or, you know, shooting. I don't think they have guns in heaven. I don't, I, I'm sorry. No, but I mean, it, it's kind of a continuation, and it's absent of God. The scriptures always have a picture of God in heaven. It's, it's what Revelation 4 says in verse 8. The four living creatures, each, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Day and night, they never cease to say, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It was this picture. It, in heaven, we will be in the presence of our creator. We will be found. We will have our eyes opened to his greatness. And as a result of that, um, th- this, is, this is what Revelation 21 says. He heard a loud voice and from the throne said, Behold, 
from the throne. Who's saying this? God is saying this. God's speaking about himself in the third person. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them as their God. Now just read that. Because it took me several times to read this to really get my mind around it. Where's the dwelling place of God? When something happens, I don't understand. I usually look up and go, God, where are you? When something happens that, that you know, I've got questions about. What, what, what are you doing? In heaven, the dwelling place with God. He's here. There never will be a doubt. I'll never question. Where are you? He'll always be here. He's not absent in heaven. Life is about him. And he's going to call us to a greater adventure with him than we could have alone. He's going to broaden and expand our view of worship. That's not going to be about singing a song and going home. It's going to be of all of life will be worship around him. We'll explore with him. We'll grow with him. We'll learn with him. He will be our great tutor throughout eternity. And we will truly have and find our greatest desire and pleasure in him. That's what it will be like. So what will this perfection look like in us? Of being in heaven, this place, with God, the key person, experiencing his perfection. Heaven, its perfection, looks like this. Look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul writes this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, this is what Paul is saying. Right now in our life, we see in a mirror dimly. We can't figure it out. We can't always connect the dots. We're here asking a lot of questions. Why do I have cancer? Why did this person die? Why didn't I get that job? Why did I lose my job? Why don't I have any money? Why am I sick? Why is this diagnosis? But then, in heaven, with God, face to face. That's an intimate picture of God sitting down with us face to face and connecting the dots. Now I know in part, then I will know fully. And God will connect the dots and show me why and what he was doing and for what purpose in his glory he was allowing things to happen in my life. And I don't know about you, but you know, for me, I think of that time and I pray when I don't understand something happening in my life, when I am tempted to walk away and not trust, I look at that time. I look at 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, and I go, I don't know. I know in part. So don't go arrogant on God. Trust him because he's going to show me sometime in the future. And I'll pray. I'll pray a prayer like this. I'll say, God, I only know in part. You know me fully and you are working out your plan to its fulfillment. Would you give me faith to trust you for the next step now that I don't know? Because, and, and I will look at some point for you to explain this whole thing to me. But I'm going to trust you right now. And you know what I found on that? God grows my faith when I, when I live like that. When I live in the reality of heaven. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, it talks about uh, this perfection of a new environment. He talks about a new uh, a new creation. 
a new heaven and a new earth. And it says in this that we'll have a new constitution. Not, not a constitution like, you know, the United States constitution. A constitution, our makeup, our own makeup. We won't be driven by emotions and by feelings and our self-importance. We won't be driven by that each day. It says that he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Here's, here's that we, we will, we will be delivered from, from the weaknesses of ourselves. We'll have a new constitution. We won't cry over the things we cry about now. We'll be relieved from those things and we'll have a restored nature with God. We'll also have a new community. It says the dwelling of God will be with man. This will be a gathered community, united with God and united with each other, stripped of personal pride, ego, protecting or promoting ourselves, and we'll have a restored love. We will truly love God and love each other the way we were created to do that. And then finally, it says this, and night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp, nor sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We'll have a new commission in life. We will reign forever and ever. Restored wonder with God. Night will be no more, because the Lord will be our light, and we will reign that new commission that we're given. And that's what Jesus says in Revelation 21, verse 5. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. Folks, heaven is going to be the upgrade of all upgrades. We long for and we seek the best, the most efficient, the most current. And we're discontent when things break or do not operate as they should. Why? Why do we have this in us? And why do we look for the material in a broken world to satisfy us? Because we have been crafted, our souls have been crafted for perfection. Heaven will be that. The meeting of our souls, our greatest satisfaction met in a relationship with Christ. With glorified bodies in a glorified world. Paradise lost will be paradise found. In my next message, we're going to be talking about what will this reigning with Christ look like? What are going to be our purposes in heaven? What, what are going to, what's the perspective that heaven ought to give in our life right now? And how do we prepare for it? I invite you to come back and invite some friends. You know, um, one of the things that we've really tried to do is we've tried to just make this event on the 15th, not just another Christian event in the city. We wanted to make it where, where um, the popularity of this book that sold 6.4 million copies um, are, are really reaching a, a ton of people who aren't even coming to church, who aren't even in a relationship with Christ. And you may work next to them, live next to them, and by inviting them to come to this, you start the discussion about heaven and how to get there. And, and then through us equipping you on how to dialogue about heaven, you might be able to share the gospel with people. And you and four friends or you and three friends that you invite to this, to this event on the 15th would really be an opportunity for the gospel to move from your life into their life. And, and, and Jesus Christ would be glorified 
and heaven would be populated. That's the church we want to be, right? Right? That's, that's the people we want to be. People who the gospel doesn't dead end with, but people who the gospel moves through into other lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your picture that you've given us through the scriptures of what heaven will be like. And we thank you that it will not disappoint us. It will definitely not be boring. It will be everything. It will be greater than our greatest pleasure, higher than our our greatest experience here on earth. And we thank you that through Jesus Christ, we're guaranteed heaven. And Heavenly Father, would you move in each of our lives after what we've heard today? May we not just move uh, into curiosity. May we move into being captivated that the picture that you've drawn for us would be compelling for us to live for, to prepare for. And we trust you. And we ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.